The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. to the Tabernacle. My name is John, and I'm privileged to be one of your pastors. We're glad that you're here with us at the Buckley campus, and if you're tuning in, watching online, we're glad that uh, you've chosen to stop by this part of the interwebs. But uh, it is Christmas time, and uh, for me, I'm reminded that at Christmas, uh, there's something Jesus said that is often, uh, it's attributed to other people, even John F. Kennedy. And I, it's like when you go on quotes or goodquotes.com or something like that, you got to be careful because most of the really good ones came from Jesus and someone else ripped them off or said it in a speech or what have you. But Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. Or depending on the translation, to whom much is given, much is expected. Have we heard that before? Just by a show of hands, we heard that before? Yeah. And that's never more true than at Christmas time for those of us that call on the name of Jesus, who call ourselves followers of Christ, uh, members of the tabernacle, people that attend the tabernacle. If we worship Jesus, we've been given much, have we not? And to whom much has been given, much is required. I'm also reminded at the Christmas season, this is why uh, you know, Jesus came. He came for the lost sheep, so to speak. One of the songs that we uh, sing quite often at the tabernacle speaks about leaving the 99 for the one. And every single one of us, before we became Christians, we were the one and he left the 99 to come and find us. And that's, of course, the incarnate Christ coming to earth as a babe. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Well, I'm saying all that stuff just to give us this little update Here at the Buckley campus, you've heard about this, but I want to start repeating it often enough so it gets in our minds, myself included, is that is the why the weekend of January 12th and 13th, this campus will go from three services on a weekend to four. We're going to go from three services to four, right? Now... The issue is space, and and regardless of what you think, if you have enough space right now, overall, we keep coming up against this 80% rule, and we're running out of space. And we see every time we're 80% full, the next couple of weeks, our attendance will drop. And so we, too, want to be a part of reaching as many people as we can. And much has been given to us, and much is required. And so when you're wondering why and when the little conversations happen, why do they have to do that? Why is it it good good enough? Why isn't big big enough? Well, it's because we're called to take this message to as many people as we possibly can. Do we still believe that, Tabernacle? Last I checked, we're about loving God, loving people, and making disciples. That's plural, right? And so on uh, the weekend of January 12th and 13th, uh, we will have a Saturday night service at 6 o'clock. 
And then Sunday is going to be crazy because the first service is at 8.30, the second is at 10, and uh, the third one is at 11.30. And you get to pick one of those four services, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. So that's why we do that. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark uh, chapter 6. And like good sheep, uh, we're going to uh, look at the scriptures. We're continuing the story of uh, Jesus' life as recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And today what we get to is probably the second most famous miracle Jesus ever performed. In fact, there's only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. The resurrection of Jesus, which was the biggest, right? When a man comes back from death. And this one, the feeding of the 5,000. All four Gospels have something to say about No other miracle that he did was on such a large scale. And before we dive in, I just want to point out something very important to us in our study. Although we bring out things that we should hear and do, make no mistake, the Gospels aren't about you. I didn't even mean for that to rap. (laughs) Or rhyme, depending on how old you are, right? The Gospels aren't really about me. The Gospels are about Jesus. Now we can look and, 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 and learn and we can find instructive things for us, but the Gospels are pointing to the glory of Jesus the Christ. So with that in mind, we'll jump right into the second part of Mark chapter 6. Here's how it reads, verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. This is God's word. And this is one of the earliest Bible stories I can ever remember. 
And I remember it vividly because my father was a pastor and for a brief moment between the mission field of Jamaica and where I spent most of my life, which was in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, we actually lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. I just want to make sure I'm not getting killed by Michigan people, right? Uh, it'll be safer on a screen, but uh, lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. My dad was preaching on this one Sunday, and someone had the creative idea that he needed to have a prop, and so that was the Sunday where I was scarred for life because I was wearing my bathrobe, and I had a basket, and had uh, some bread and fish in there, and I had to walk around the sanctuary. I can't afford therapy, and you're here, so shut up. <laughs> I'm kidding. It was awesome, right? I actually enjoyed being a part of the of, of the message there. But even as a little kid, you know, we hear these things and the danger is we hear stories like these and we go, oh, what a nice veggie tale. Oh, what a nice, you know, Sunday school thing if you were raised in church. And if you're, and if you're here with us and you didn't go to church, you're like, what? 5,000 people? And, and what loaves? What is this? Wonder bread? What is this? The fish fillet miracle? What is happening, right? And so we either dismiss it on the one hand or we're so used to it on the other hand that we don't miss the power For what it is and how remarkable a story it is. It's the apex of Jesus' ministry. And so just to recap, this is what's happened is there's been a lot of teaching about the kingdom of God. There's been a lot of miracles that have been performed. And his fame is going all throughout the region. And where we closed off before is that he had sent out his disciples two by two and he'd given them authority, authority to teach about the kingdom, authority to call people to repentance. He'd actually also given them power to heal and to drive out demons. And so they went on a speaking tour, a missions trip, a ministry tour, and that's how it starts. And so there's a little gap here in chapter six where the disciples come back and they've got a lot to report and you can you know, cross-reference with other gospels, but they come to Jesus and Jesus is tired. He sees that they're tired and he says, hey, let's have a little retreat. Let's have a little rest. And that's important. That's the first thing we see. It's like, hey, we haven't even had time to eat. These crowds are pressing. You guys must have done a good job. Somebody get the boat. We're out of here, right? And it's interesting that You know, I don't care who you are. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care if you are Kit Executive Pastor Potter. Everyone needs a rest sooner or later. Can I get an amen? All right, Kit's going on vacation. He says, we need a rest. Let's come away. Let's come away. So get in the boat and they go across the water, but the crowd won't let up. The crowd sees sees where they're going. It says people are running. People are watching. No, it's that boat. It's that first boat. Not the second boat. That's a bunch of photographers. That's a paparazzi. It's the first boat. I know know it's them. And they're going across the water and they're watching and people are running ahead. Why are you running? Jesus, he's going to the other side trying to get away, but I got some stuff I need healed. I need me some more Jesus. Whatever it was, the crowds come running. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes that feels like the last Five years here at the tabernacle. And that's a good problem to have. And for all of us, even those of us that are like, hey, can we just take a break? Yes, breaks are important. But we see the next thing is when the disciples and Jesus gets out of the boat, it says Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. 
There's no wasted words in Scripture. That's not a throwaway line. In fact, that word, I won't try to say it for you, but in the original translation, it means that he felt love and mercy for them down in his guts. He was moved. That's the kind of compassion that he had for them. And it says that the reason he had compassion is because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is just a ragtag crowd of people of every stripe, every race, every gender, every background. There were rich, there were poor. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I've never raised sheep. I've never even raised goats. And if you want me to join your 4-H team, I don't want to. But I'm told that sheep are some of the most helpless of the barn critters. They can't feed themselves. They can't care for themselves. They can't groom themselves. If they fall over on their backs, they can't even get back up. You have to put them back up on their own four feet. And he sees this crowd and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He's moved because to him, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion. And it's interesting, when he has compassion on these sheep without a shepherd, translation, people who are far from God, people that don't know him, people that don't know about the kingdom, people that have infirmities, people that have need, he's not annoyed by them, he has compassion for them. Some of us have spent the last year being being annoyed whenever we bring up Haiti. Some of us have spent the last year being annoyed whenever there's a five-minute commercial about manistee. Some of us are annoyed if there's anything in the service except for the one thing that we want. Can they sing the songs that I want? And can we hurry up and get to some teaching that's relevant to me? I need to be fed. I love it that Jesus wasn't annoyed. He had compassion for the sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for the people that were hungry and far from God. And they're out here in the wilderness and there's thousands of them. And what does he do? He starts to teach them. To teach them about the gospel. To teach them about the kingdom. To teach them about love. To teach them about himself. And then we see, it's classic. The disciples come late in the day and they say to Jesus... Uh, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Now, we just have to pause right here. Jesus is the son of God. Do you think he knows what time it is? Do you think he knows where they are? Do you think he knows where the nearest Chick-fil-A is? You betcha. It's not coming for another 2,000 years. But aren't we as disciples really, really, really good at telling the Son of God what he should do? The disciples come to the rabbi and say, send them away. These people are hungry. Translation, I'm pretty hungry. (laughs) Now, I'm guessing that. It says that the reason they'd come to this side of the lake is because they didn't have any food and, or they didn't have time to eat. Let's go away and rest a while. And I'm assuming there was some food. And Oh, great. Here's the stinking crowd again, right? This is us on Easter. Oh, where am I going to ever park this church? Pardon us for attracting people far from God to Jesus and taking your seat or your parking space, right? I mean, hey, listen, I'm, I, we do it too. I do it too. It isn't just you, it's mostly you, but um, (laughs) 
disciples say, send them away, and then Jesus pulls off the best part. And this is where I want to focus on for us in this message. He says, you feed them. You feed them. You do it. That just jumped out to me this week as I studied and prepared. You feed them. Oh, there's a problem. There's people far from God. There's people that are hungry. There's people that have need. My thing is find them someone who can help. Find them the right team. Find them the right group. Find them the right service. Find them the right program. Find them the right bestseller. Find them the right pastor. And Jesus says to them, he goes, you feed them. And they're incredulous. I mean, this is a remarkable thing to think about, right? And they say, are you you joking? Because the crowd we've already read, it said there were 5,000 men. That's not including women and children. So we don't know if there's one woman or one child for every man, then conservatively, the crowd's 10,000. If there's two, 15. Some have estimated maybe even more. We don't know. It's a huge crowd. And Jesus says, you feed them. Now, I don't believe Jesus is playing games. I don't believe he's playing games. I I don't think he's just saying that to be like, you do it. Okay, let me flex my miracles. I mean, he doesn't, that's not our Lord, right? But he's speaking and he's teaching and he's training. Remember the context. He just sent them out and he gave them authority to preach. He gave them authority to teach. He gave them authority to call into repentance. He gave them power to perform miracles. And now he says to those in training, okay, you're so concerned about food? Okay, you feed them. And immediately they come back with, how could we ever do that? And then the follow-up is, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. Now, we know from the other Gospels that there were different conversations, and it's really fun. I encourage you in your groups to look at Matthew's account and Mark and Luke and John because they all shared some different details. But we know that at least one of them was like, Oh, the wage, I mean, someone did the math real quick. We could never have this much money to feed these people. And even if we could, where would we buy it? And in one of the accounts, it says they found a small boy who had brought a lunch. And in his lunch, he had five loaves and two fish. And so they stole the kid's lunch. Which makes the story awesome. No, I'm sure he volunteered it. But I remember even as a kid thinking, five loaves. What do you guys wonder? What kind of a lunch is that? You know? We're speaking about small little biscuits, right? Probably made of wheat or barley, maybe leavened or unleavened. I don't know if there was gluten or not. I really don't. But they're small little like cracker things, but a little bit more substantial. It's what a boy, you know, one mom was thinking and sent him with some food. And the fish, I don't know how big they were, but most likely they were like a pickled fish, something that you would put between the biscuits or the crackers for your lunch. He's basically got a ham sandwich is what he's got in the equivalent of today. And this is what they have. That's the five loaves and the two pickled fish, something that they would eat even there today. And Jesus takes them and he instructs the people to sit down. Now, just that is a miracle. 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. Everyone sit down in groups of 50 or 100. I need you in groups. And they did it. 
You can't get two Michiganders to do the same thing up here. Right? And if they're Michigan men, forget about it. Right? That's a miracle. And remarkably, they do. And it's interesting. Mark says that they sat down on the green grass. Reminds me of Psalm 23. Where the sheep are led in green pastures. Beside still waters. Where a table is prepared before them. Jesus is telling everyone something. He's saying that he is the shepherd, the good shepherd that all the Old Testament talks about, that the Psalms speak about, the one that they've been waiting for. And here at the apex, really, of his ministry before getting to Jerusalem, they all sit down and it says he prayed a simple prayer. There wasn't any magical blessing the food. He's thanking God for the food. And he began to break the loaves and distribute the fish. And it says that the disciples distributed all of that food to everyone there so that everyone ate all that they wanted and they were satisfied. You feed them. And with his help, they did. The groups of 50 or 100, now we have aisles like we have at this campus where ushers can get through. And with baskets laden with meat and bread, they're serving all the groups. They are feeding them. Of course, they can't, but he can, and they let him use them. Do you see how that works? You see, when I hear you feed them, it's like, oh, how could we, oh, me, I, me, fear. You feed them. And this miracle is just staggering. I mean, think about it just for a second. In, in, in all four Gospels, we have no account of how he was doing this, right? I mean, I, mean, I want to come up and go, hey, how are you doing that? Because you just keep breaking. And just, is it coming out of your sleeve? What's happening there? But how far could the ham sandwich-sized lunch go? Not that far. Maybe one, maybe two, maybe four, maybe five. So after the first five to a half a dozen pieces... The bread that was being distributed came from seeds that never went in the ground. The fish that was being distributed never swam in the sea. He was creating something out of nothing for how many hours in front of thousands of people till everyone had enough. That word satisfied literally means translation in the Greek, how you feel after Thanksgiving dinner. Full, satisfied, gorged. I can't look at another piece of fish. And afterwards, he instructed them to pick up what was left over. Twelve baskets full. The word for basket right there, meaning a, like a satchel, like a, like a basket that one man would carry. Are you listening? that one person would carry and fill his or her lunch with. That's the word for the type of basket. It wasn't a big giant basket. How many disciples were there? How many disciples were there? Don't, don't make us go back to the beginning here, people. How many little lunch to-goes did we have? How did he ever do the math? 
knowing every person, their level of hunger, how much they were going to eat, who was gluten-free, who's on a diet, who's making a resolution, how much are they going to take. So there's exactly enough that every one of my guys has dinner and maybe breakfast to go. The creator God, his display of power is astounding in this moment. And that's who Jesus is telling them that he is. That's our God in flesh. So if it's all about these words, these three words, you feed them. What might there be in this story for me, for you, for us during this Christmas season? We're surrounded by needs all the time, are we not? Do we know people who are far from God? Yeah, do we see needs all the time? Are there needs in the church? Yes. Are there needs outside the church? Staggering. Is ministry happening outside the church? Yes. Is ministry happening inside the church? Yes. And they're both important. But our tendency is to become overwhelmed and our tendency is to say, well, I could never do and oh, woe is that, and that's not me or I'm afraid to ever step out. But to whom much is given, much is required. The disciples were given much. And I don't believe Jesus was playing games when he said, you feed them. Now, they didn't know how. They didn't understand. They weren't ready to spend that kind of coin. But there's a simple kingdom principle when it comes to feeding people far from God. People that have needs. Loving God and loving people the way he intended to. And we see it in the story first. The way that we feed them is it starts with you have to give God what you have. You have to give God what you have. Many of us don't believe that we have anything, and that's just not true. If you're a Christian, you already have everything. Now, we have in different measures, gifts, talent, time, resources. We're different stages of our life, but everyone has something. And it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, okay, this is what I'm going to need. I'm going to need this amount of baskets, and I'm going to need this amount of food, and we're going to need to get a sous chef in here. I mean, we've got to get after this. No, he... Go and see what you have. Take stock. Do you have compassion? Do you see people that need to be fed physically, emotionally, or spiritually? You know what? Someone ought to do something. I'm going to call the church. Those guys only work on the weekends anyways. All right, get here. Here, hey, let me tell you something, right? You feed them. You feed them. Well, I could never. What do you have? What do you have? And they come back. Well, this is what we have. It starts with giving God what we have. And when we look down on what we have and assume that God can't do anything, it's not thinking, woe is me, or, oh, I'm just being humble. No, it's us doubting God. It's our faithlessness when we don't bring Him. I mean, I give props to the disciples. They were like, dude, we got a sandwich. We got a fish sandwich. Let's bring it to them. This is what we have, boss. What do we do with that? Tell everybody to sit down. Dinner's about to be served. And everybody does. And everybody's fed. You see, 
for you to feed them, it starts with giving God what you have, no matter what it is, no matter how much, no matter how small. And second, we watch God multiply it. We watch God multiply it. And I don't know how he did this, and I, it just says that he broke it, and he kept breaking it. And I, I wonder how many hours it took to give everybody their food, for everyone to be fed. But he's working, make no mistake. The disciples are working, make no mistake. Twelve guys feeding 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. They're working. But everyone was filled and was satisfied. Because when we give God what we have, then we get to watch God multiply it. That's so he gets the glory. And that's something he does. Has he not multiplied us already? Did we not just see that with, with the big offering? Was that not multiplied? Well, I mean, literally, there were matching gifts. It was multiplied, right? We're watching God multiply. But it's all part of this command where when you see Jesus and his power on display, it starts with him saying, to us, you feed them. John's little parentheses, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is expected. What holds us back from that? Well, it's fear. Fear holds us back. It's always fear. And I asked some friends of mine to share a story with us. And Joe and Melissa Heiler have had a ministry for the last three years that many of you probably never heard about. They're part of our church. They saw a need, they had compassion, and they made a move. I'll just read the story. It says, over the summer of 2016, we saw a need that was not being met with our Kingsley teenagers. Specifically, we saw an amazing group of athletes who are our own kids' ages and realized we had no clue if they knew Jesus sheep without a shepherd. We decided we wanted to reach these teenagers where they were and decided reaching them through sports would be our best bet. So we looked into Fellowship of Christian Athletes, a national organization, and we got some ideas and a mentor to get us started. And it took off from there. We decided we'd try hosting a small group in our home and meet every other week. We reached out to a few families to see if there was any interest And we thought we'd have 8 to 10 students show up. That first night, 20 athletes came. Word quickly spread. We got a little more organized, picked up or picked some random topics and a handful of guest speakers. On the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend, 40 athletes filled our living room. We thought there is no way we can grow any bigger, all caps. We continued to see steady numbers that first year. There was at least one new student at every single huddle meeting. Then in the fall of 2017, parents from Benzie, Traverse City, and Buckley wanted to know if their children could come. The second year, we had a planned curriculum, recruited seven more adults to help lead small groups, invited guest speakers to speak on some really tough topics, and we averaged about 42 student-athletes. At the end of the year, the students still wanted to continue and still wanted food at every huddle meeting. At this point, I, Melissa, secretly began to stress about fitting everyone in our home and how much money it took to feed everyone. 
It wasn't that we didn't have the money. It was a matter of how are we going to sustain this if it keeps growing? But every single time I had a negative thought cross my mind, we would receive $20 here, $40 there. Anonymous donations in our mailbox, all from super generous people who loved what was happening in our home and lovingly gave to our FCA group. 2018, this is our third year. We've grown even more and now need 12 adult leaders. On our welcome back night, 49 kids showed up. How can we fit any more? We had never had so many kids. Then God said, I can feed thousands. Trust me. So he gave us 62 kids in our second huddle in October. And we've been averaging between 50 and 60 each Sunday night. We use 10 rooms and spaces in our home for small groups. Many parents tell us they wish they had this when they were younger. They love their kids, want to be a part of this. Many of the Kingsley coaching staff have been extra flexible on Sundays to allow kids to come late to practice or who adjusted their practice times altogether. Several teens have expressed they've been saved through FCA. They're taking Jesus with them and they're not ashamed to display their love for Christ at their games. Quote, one way is our theme this year from the movie Woodlawn. And they're writing it on their wrists, wearing it on their helmets, wearing their FCA bracelets. Outside of FCA, they're coming to church. They're coming to this church. They're reading their Bible in small study groups. And best of all, they're inviting their friends to come. Our mission is to help further his kingdom. And we do believe that God is pleased. You feed them. There was never a phone call made to our church. Never a phone call asking for money, asking for help. Why can't Firehouse come over there? There were student athletes, sheep that needed a shepherd. And a husband and wife, a family that loved Jesus, opened their home, opened their resources. They gave God what they had. And he's multiplied it. He's multiplied it. I have the privilege to tell the story, but you and I have the privilege to believe. You and I have the privilege to hear and do. The same way Jesus said to disciples, you feed them. I believe he's saying to our church, there are many people far from God in northern Michigan. There are many people far from God that are listening to the World Wide Web and watching sermons all the time. But I also believe that we know of people that are far from God, that are in our family reunions, people that we will see at Christmas, people that we work with, we go to school with, the long shots that we talked about several months ago, and we're praying, and some of us are inviting, and all of that is good, but sometimes there comes a point when we hear the master say, you feed them, and then it's time to give him everything you have. What is it that I have? Is it my talent? Is it my ability? Can I serve? Can I help? Can I teach? Can I go? Can I hug? The spiritual gift of hugging? It's a good gift. Give him everything that I have. 
and then watch him multiply. I believe that's what he's saying to us. What he's saying to me. What he's saying to our church. You feed them. You feed them. Would you bow your heads with me as we close the service? We're going to worship. We're going to sing some more. But in the scriptures, we see this awesome display of God's power. We see Jesus for who he is, the creator God in flesh. The same one who spoke the world into existence is the one that's feeding and caring for the needs of all of these people. Not just their physical needs, but he's teaching them with their spiritual needs. But he invites us, he invites you and I into the story. I believe he does. 2,000 years later, his words still echo, you feed them. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. But he can. What if we let him use us? Our brothers and sisters in the recovery programs, uh, they summarize points one, two, and three. I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. What if we hijacked that and said, I can't feed them. He can. I think I'll let him use me. Lord Jesus, we come to you with different needs. We come to you with different hurts. We come to you with different histories. But you know each one of us. You know why we're here. Spirit, I pray that you would speak clearly to our hearts. And for those that are hungry, may they eat of the bread of life. So they'll never be hungry again. And God, for those that much has already been given, God, would you help us to take our place again in your mission where you say you feed them. That could be the greatest gift this Christmas for any one of us and for those that we care about. Thank you that you're a God that came looking for us when we were poor Thank you that you're a God that came looking for us when we had nothing. Thank you for your power that's still on display. And thank you that you invite us to be a part of it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.